0: Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening today. My guest for this episode is my friend Dawn Fair. We talked about how she felt called to missions, she moved to the other side of the country, and she later experienced sexual assault and unintended pregnancy. Dawn shares how despite this unimaginable situation, she was able to see God's faithfulness all along the way. So here is my interview with Dawn Fair. Dawn, thanks so much for joining me on the Faithful Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Stephanie.
0: Yeah. Dawn, you and I met um, over the summer— at kids across mm-hmm. America. We were both there volunteering for the week and, um, kind of hit it off right from the beginning. And I, I just love getting to spend time with you. It was so much fun for me and I'm excited to have you share your, your testimony. Cause I think it's a really, really powerful one. So thank you so much for taking your time thank this evening. You.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I agree. The feelings are mutual. We had a yeah. great week at camp and, um, it just proves that you're never too old to make um, camp friendships.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to lately.
1: Okay, well, I am 46 years old. I live in Wichita, Kansas. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm married to an amazing husband. And then I have five children and uh, a son-in-law and three grandchildren. Wow. And so pretty busy. I, I only have two kids still that I'm raising at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So three of my kids are out of the house. And then I have um, I have two 16, almost 17-year-old twins um, that are going into their junior year. Mm-hmm. And so entering those last um, few years of, of parenting. Mm. And I'm also a full-time um, employee as a nurse practitioner yeah. at a clinic um, here locally. So mm-hmm. it's bu- it's a busy life. <laughs> yeah.
0: That sounds yeah. pretty busy. That's awesome, though. I mean, yeah. what, a, what a blessing, all those kids. And only two left at home. That's, you just moved yes. your son off to college. And how was I that? I did.
1: <laughs> that was tough. Yeah. Um, I had been through two other older children leaving the nest, you Mm -hmm. know, so I thought that I was a pro by now and I was really (laughs) expecting it to be real easygoing. Mm -hmm. Um, it was not Mm -hmm. so easygoing as I thought it was just, you know, it's hard when they leave. Um, you know, I was told many years ago that, um, that if you do it right as a parent, then when your kids leave, um, they're just independent and confident and they go far away and they don't need you anymore. Yeah, And that makes logical sense, but the heart um, doesn't always translate that very well. And so, yeah. you know, it's just when, when your kids leave, um, there's you just spent so much of your life invested in their well-being and providing for them and teaching them and molding them and shaping them and then when they when they leave and you're like my job is done oh my gosh do they need me still you know it's yeah. just it's a, you just move into a different role with them mm-hmm. um you're still you're still always going to be um their parent but now that they're adults it's just a little you take on a different role and you kind of have to let them live I think there's this balance between letting them live and let me love you still you know like (laughs) this little tension there where you're chasing them around like let me love you let me love you and they're like let me live yeah you know so it's it's a good it's a good tension it's growth on both of our parts for mm. sure
0: well, my my son just started his senior year, so I may be asking you for some pointers come in yes. the summertime <laughs> of how to yes. how to keep that balance of letting them know you love them and you're there for them, but also giving them that space. So letting them live, yeah, letting right. them live,
1: right? Mm. Well, yeah, tell, it's 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 an important part of the journey. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, tell tell us how you came to know Jesus.
1: Well, goodness. Um, so I'm 46 years old and I, um, I've i been walking with Jesus for a long time. Um, I grew up in a very small town and my, my grandmother who lived in the town, she was probably, gosh, I, I feel like she was in her late 60s or 70s when I was a child. And so she was in Older grandma, and Mm -hmm. you know, didn't work, was at home. Um, and so my parents were both, um, working parents, Mm -hmm. and I was the oldest of four, and my dad was the youngest out of his siblings. And so that makes sense why my grandmother was so much older. But, um, we spent a lot of time with my grandmother, and so growing up, my grandma helped, um, to raise us and, and watch us and babysat us. And we spent lots of time with her. And since I was the oldest of my siblings, I, um, I got to have a lot of really good years with my grandma of her, just her legacy and her, I guess I would say, her love for Jesus, I was on display all the time, and I witnessed that as a child, and that just laid a foundation for me. Um, a lot of times growing up, she she would drive me to church. She would drive us to church, um, and in my younger years, my parents weren't um, really active in the church. And sometimes they would be in and out of the church, but my grandmother was there all the time and always took us kids and took us kids to Bible club and everything that was going on at the church, we were there. And Mm -hmm. so I just remember, um, you know, many fond memories of my grandmother. Um, she would sing songs about heaven because I think she was entering that, the end days of her life. And so her hope and her, um, joy just was always, she was always talking about heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, as a young girl, she took me with her to, our church had a um, a thing called ladies aid and they gathered together and they made all these little um, things for missionaries and sent letters to missionaries and okay. made crafts and had like this little gathering of women where they would take brown bag lunches and and, re- and sing hymns and pray and, and mm-hmm. do things for people. And so it was that older, older generation of women um, that were the saints of the church. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother would take me as a young girl. Gosh, I was in elementary school and yeah. I would go with her to these events and, and be surrounded by these 70-year-old gray-haired women with wisdom who would just be singing hymns and praying. And um, from a young age, I felt called to be a missionary because of, I think, the influence of those women and my grandmother. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that was the early days of my faith. And then, you know, if when you've walked with Jesus for a long time, um, y- you hear it as a kid. It's it's what you're taught. It's all you know. But then as you get older and start to see the world around you and experience some things of life and you try to make sense of the world and you try to make sense of faith. Um, We all have our own journey. And so there are certainly seasons where I um, didn't walk as closely with God. There were certainly seasons where I was disobedient Mm -hmm. um, to God. There were seasons where I questioned my faith and struggled. Um, And it's just been in the more recent years, as you get older and you start to, you know, figure out who you are in relationship to God and um, the purpose of, life and, um, that all of those things, as you, as you walk many years with God, you start to just kind of get a little bit better at, at, at knowing and explaining your faith and claiming your faith and it being just the centerpiece of your life. And so, Mm. um, I would definitely say over these last probably, um, 10 years, probably definitely the last 10 years has been more of my real true faith journey. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's, that's really cool that you um, started so much of your walk with Jesus with these women who are older. And I mean, I'm just imagining yes. this little kid in the midst of all these older women and how, um, you know how you could have probably done a million other things at that time but you yeah. you chose to spend time with them and how much of a blessing they were to you and oh, you, yes. and that you were in turn to them to see um especially if you're in that age group where you are like your grandmother thinking about heaven and you're thinking about the end of your life to see this next generation starting to you know take up the cause and starting to follow Jesus seriously like I just I think that's so sweet and that's so such a powerful thing for people to be able to experience that like mm-hmm. you know obviously the the gospel has been around a lot longer than me and it will persist long after me and to get mm-hmm. to see this you know the the seeds planted and and part of what they um grew into so that's awesome um, Sure. yeah so, I agree so you mentioned um starting to feel a call to missions. And I know that you shared Uh with me that as when you were a young adult, you started feeling God um, calling you to serve in Los Angeles. Um, Uh Can you tell me about how that happened? And, um, you know, you mentioned being from Kansas.
1: Uh I
0: I can only imagine how that differed from Los Angeles. So, um, or this, you know, small town kind of feel. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Um, so there's multiple things that go into, um, how I ended up in Los Angeles. Um, and so I will try and navigate this concisely as I can, but you know, there's, there's, there's lots of, um, factors that play into making us who we are and the decisions that we make. And, um, you know, I mentioned that I was the oldest of four kids and so birth order being the oldest, um i I also am wired, you know, my personality makeup is I'm wired um to be a helper so in yeah. the Enneagram, I'm type two in the mm-hmm. Enneagram and oh, so okay. I I'm, I'm very much a helper mm-hmm. um and I'm a firstborn. and so um I was born into a family where my parents were also had their own brokenness mm-hmm. um, as, as all people do. And so from a young age, I started trying to fix things and make things better Mm -hmm. and rescue and save. And I could see that my parents were struggling and I took on the responsibility of the oldest child of keeping the family together and keeping peace and, and fixing things and not causing too much trouble to make mom and dad upset. They're already working on their marriage, you know, like Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of things as a kid, you're trying to, to navigate and then, um, and then enter into that. I had a little bit of daddy issues. Um, my dad, I will say, um, my dad and I have an amazing relationship now. Um, and my dad is a very stoic man. Um, as he's gotten older, he's very emotional. Um, but growing up, I think he just had to be the strong one because of, my mom's trauma from her past. And so mm-hmm. he was the disciplinary and he was the one who had to provide and he carried a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And as a little girl who needed words of affirmation as my love language, yeah, um, I was trying to make sense of my world and trying to feel like I'm okay. And my dad is not a man of many words. And so the more I would work to get um, his approval through words of affirmation. Um, That's just not the way that he gave love, Mm -hmm. and so I wasn't receiving love very well. um, As far as uh, interpreting that he loved me, now looking back as a parent, I think all parents have more grace with their parents because you realize how hard it is to parent, and that you don't get it right, and that it's very challenging um, to be a parent. And so, as I've gotten older, I've I've changed my perspective. As a kid, you. You're a great recorder of information, but a horrible interpreter of information. And so, um, anyway, I guess that all of that to say the background is that my relationship with God, um, was much that I wanted to earn his love. And I wanted to, I felt like if I could be a good girl, I would get his approval. Mm. And if I could, um, it, it was very much a works-based um, relationship where because of kind of the way I viewed my dad and always striving for his approval and not ever feeling like I was measuring up, mm-hmm. not again, not because my dad was a bad dad, but just because of the dynamics of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just translated that over to where I was like, you know, I ran to Jesus. I felt unconditional love from, from the father, God, Um, and I wanted to serve him with my whole heart because I was thinking, I want to be the best. I want him to be so proud of me. I want him to love me. I want him to be pleased with me. And so I'm going to serve him and give him my entire life. And I'll just be such a good girl that I will just make my daddy, my heavenly daddy. So, Mm -hmm. so proud of me. So that was kind of my identity at that point was very much like, um, I had a kind of a savior mentality. Like I'm going to, I'm going to save the world for Jesus. I had kind of a mentality like, um, I have to fix things. I have to help people. That's where my value and my worth came, um, was very much that. So fast forward, I didn't really, um, I didn't really have much ambition for the academic world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really, um, Find much purpose in careers or academia. I just really had this longing to serve. And so I wanted to, I felt like the most important thing would be to go to the mission field. Yeah. Um, So I began explaining that to my parents as a teenager, that I wanted to enter the mission field, that I didn't really want to go to college, that I didn't really see myself as a good studious collegiate student, Mm -hmm. Um, and that I just wanted to go straight to the mission field. And um, my parents, of course, were a little concerned about that and discouraged me from that. And so I tried a year of college, but... Um, I really wasn't invested and wasn't doing very well in my classes. And I told them that I would, my kind of my, my compromise with them is that I was going to take a year off of college and do an internship. That was a missions-based internship. Um, so at the time I was 19, 20, um, and I found an opportunity to go to an opportunity to go to Los Angeles and work with a a ministry there that was um, uh, student missions and working in downtown Los Angeles with the homeless, with um, various people groups in downtown LA. Um, Yeah, so that's, I ended up there as a young girl planning on spending a year of my a year of my life there knowing that that was just going to be a stepping ground for me to, or a stepping stone to go to kind of launch me into the mission field. Um, And my parents of course were like, well, maybe this she'll just get this out of her system and come home and finish college and get a real job and all of that kind of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, what kind of stuff were you doing out there?
1: Um, Well, it was a hodgepodge of of ministry. Yeah. Um, we worked with we worked with homeless down on um, in downtown Los Angeles in an area called Skid Row. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked with people that lived on the streets. We worked with um, people that were in addiction, um, uh, women who were in bad relationships, single moms. Um, just a lot of, a lot of the hurt and broken people of the world. Um, of course, as I started working in that environment, I thrived because my helper part of my heart just came alive where I felt like I was needed Mm -hmm. and, um, I felt significant. And to me, significance has always been more important than being successful. Like, significance was success to me. And so I felt very significant because I was in a role where I was helping people and I was serving people and I was sharing Jesus and sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, I will say, let this segue to kind of my story here. Um, I was, a, like I said, 19, 20 year old girl when I was there. And of course, growing up in the Midwest, growing up very sheltered um very naive and had all of these people-pleasing mechanisms in place in my life um and then I kind of got plucked well I didn't get plucked because I chose to go but um I I was I was this midwest naive innocent um girl that was saving herself for marriage and wanted to be a wife, a missionary and a mom. And Mm -hmm. that was my only aspirations in life. And so then I end up in downtown Los Angeles, um, which is very different from where I grew up. Um, And the life of the streets and just a world that was not sheltered, a world that didn't have the family values that I grew up with. Um, and so I w- I entered into, I found myself in many situations where if I would have had a little less naivety, yeah. um, I would have maybe caught on that maybe some situations I was in were, were dangerous. Um, but I didn't have, I didn't have a fearful spirit. Um, I think I was born with a little bit of boldness. Um, yeah. and so whatever situation I was in, I just kind of, I felt, um, I didn't feel afraid. I felt like I had God with me. Um, So, skip forward a little bit into that part of the story. Um, There was a situation after I'd been there for about three months, and I. uh, There's many details, so I'll leave out many of the details of the story, but Mm -hmm. um, basically, there was a situation where I. Out of my ministry team, I was the only one, out of the ministry team, I was the only one that was um, left behind at my, at our place where we resided. Um, and it was just for a short period of time that I was there by myself. And we had several ministry rules that we were not supposed to be, you know, alone or left behind. We always had the buddy system. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had all kind of felt pretty comfortable that this was going to be an okay situation for me to be by myself. Um, but several things started to happen during the course of that time where I was left, um, by myself. And one of those things that happened, um, was there was a, there was a, in the place where we were living, there was a fight that broke out on the ground level of that building. And the people that were, used to our ministry and knew us, um, knew that we were helpers, knew that we were safe people, knew that we were um, there to serve. And so when this fight broke out, I received a phone call up to our apartment complex that had asked for people to come help. And um, as I went down and then Evaluated the situation. It looks like a gang fight had um, broke out, mm-hmm. and then I had returned to my apartment, and um, I was, for the sake of, I want to be vulnerable in this conversation. I also just want to be um, cautious in what I share. So, yeah. Um, but I was, I ended up being assaulted that night and um, sexually assaulted, and. Um, the events that transpired after that are are great in detail um but the end result um fast forward through some of the details is that I ended up a, a about a month later finding out that I was pregnant um from that event and then had decided that it would be time for me to to come home um so instead of Finishing out my internship, I, I ended up coming home um, and found myself pregnant and um, very confused, obviously, about what now, what what will my life look like now?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and Stephanie, I'll just say. The challenge that comes with sharing my story is that it involves It intertwines other people's stories. And so I've I've been very, um, when I share my story, I always want to make sure that I am am tender and vulnerable um, and protect other people whose stories also are shared by my story, but they're not sharing. I'm not sharing their story. I'm just sharing mine. So, you know, like my daughter, for example, Um, and just lots of things along the way as I share today Mm -hmm. um, it's just sometimes a little bit of a challenge to share. I I'm an open book and I feel very comfortable and vulnerable sharing. Um, I just sometimes am am wanting to share in a way that when other people hear whose story intersects with mine, that they'll that they'll also not feel so exposed or exploited or vulnerable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what you, that, that statement is very um, powerful because um I know that there are other people who have been through sexual assault and of different mm-hmm. kinds, and you know, maybe there are others who have become pregnant as a result of that. but you're right. I mean it when when it's not just our story, it it is something you have to be a little more cautious with. and I, I mean, I'm so thankful for you sharing in your willingness. and I know that your willingness, you would share everything, you know that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's out there. but <laughs> Being respectful of of your daughter is is important, mm-hmm. and I am thankful. I know that you talked, you have talked to her in the past, and you've mm-hmm. gotten basically yes. her permission or her blessing in sharing. But yeah, don't need to be over overly um, descriptive when that's unnecessary. Right. But um, right. so. You're in LA. You find mm-hmm. out that you're pregnant. You're mm-hmm. how old at this point? Nineteen.
1: Um, let's see. I was 21 when I had Kanaya, so I would have been 20. Okay, so you're, um, you're mm-hmm. 20
0: years old. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I. From what you told me before, it was just like it. The the thought didn't even cross your mind that this could have been a result even pregnancy, though like yeah right. with pregnancy being a result right. it was just like oh I've been through this thing and um I know that you felt tremendous shame over what you had been through even though you know obviously outside if it was you mm-hmm. on the outside talking to your friend who had been through this you would have said
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know there's nothing to be ashamed of you did nothing wrong right but you you wanted to to kind of keep this to yourself and that was not an option at this point so right
1: oh yeah yeah I forgot that I had shared that with you like um after the event happened um I you know in shock because I I I just had this 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 situation this I don't even know what to refer to I just had this um this thing happen to me that I didn't desire or plan for, um, or, and, and it was just kind of like shocking. Um, and it's like you're, you're, you're at a crossroads where you're like, this wasn't supposed to happen. And you have all of these things going through your brain and the enemy obviously swoops in anytime you have a traumatic event, the enemy is there to like begin lying to you. Mm. And he's the father of lies and he, if you don't know your father, God, well, you can be deceived easily because the enemy presents himself as an angel of light mm-hmm. and he and he begins twisting the events and then he accuses and causes shame to enter into the situation. But also um, he's, his lies are so good that they're very believable. And so it, it makes you think, Oh, what have I done? You yeah. know, this is, I should have, I, you know, I should have been able to prevent this or what am I doing here? Was I being, you know, you just start to feel like you're being punished for something. Um, and so I'll just explain like when it, when after everything happened, I was left by myself in this room and I, I remember thinking, okay, no one is ever going to know this happened. No one. Like I'm. I'm just going to move on with my life because at that moment you're you don't know what to do. But the most logical thing in that moment, is, or the most safe thing, I guess not logical, but the the safest thing in that moment is just. You just keep moving on as if nothing happened, mm-hmm. because that feels very safe and controlled. You can control that, yeah. Um, and so I just, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to move on like nothing happened, and no one needs to know. And we'll just, you know, I'll never tell a soul. And but you know, obviously that doesn't. That's not how it plays out. Um, yeah. The, the you just start questioning everything and re, reliving um what did i do i've 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 i started to receive what happened because i i wanted so badly to be a wife a mom and a missionary and i had kind of attached my virginity mm-hmm. to my worth and my value mm. um and you know growing up in in circles of faith, you're just, you're taught purity yeah. and how important it is. And so then I suddenly felt like I was no longer pure and mm. I wasn't yeah. worth anything and, um, mm. who would want me now? And all you know, and then uh, as the enemy works, as he start begins to lie to you, um, I, I began receiving this as a rejection from God, you know, because much of my identity up to that point, I did, Honestly, looking back, I didn't know who I was. I was just a young girl trying to figure out who I am. Yeah. But I had I had put value on being a virgin um, because growing up in church circles, we're, we're taught purity and save yourself till marriage, and that's being obedient to God. And so I, I had put a lot of value in my own worth um, was in the fact that I was that I was pure or a virgin, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so, you know, I, now all of a sudden I'm in this situation where I'm like, well, who's going to want me now? And I'm not Mm going to be able to find a good Christian man. Who's going to want me under these circumstances. I'm no longer I'm no longer worth anything. I'm no longer pure. Mm. Um, Those are the kind of the lies that begin to spin and then take it a step further. um, You know, the gut punch there is that maybe God, maybe I wasn't good enough for God to want. Mm. Um, And so the gut punch in that is that as I was trying to be such a good girl, um, trying to serve and trying to make God proud of me, that he allowed this to happen to me because I he really didn't want me. Mm. Um, so that was kind of the gut punch lie that just started to begin and twist. Um, and so, oh, where was I going with that? Um, just kind of that those things... I was in shock. I was in denial. I was thinking, I'm never going to let anyone know this. Yeah. And then those things are starting to form in my brain. And then I end up um, going to church and being in church on a Sunday morning, thinking I'm just going to proceed with. Pastor. I, just, I felt like the Holy Spirit just honed in on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> through the pastor's words, yeah. and I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I'm not thinking about the situation. I just remember that that I heard the Holy Spirit. I heard God saying, you you know, you can't be great. Like, um, we need to get this out in the light. You need to be healed. And so I just began weeping, 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 wailing in church, like no control. Um, and. That kind of was the beginning stages of me starting to process and deal with um, my trauma. Yeah.
0: A couple of thoughts are kind of coming to mind as you're talking. One is that you said, you know, you must identify as a helper and you like to help people. And this trauma puts you in a position where you had to be helped. And so yes. I can see why that would be incredibly uncomfortable for you. Oh, very uncomfortable.
1: It yeah. is a
0: complete role reversal for what you're mm-hmm. used to and where you feel um, most yourself. But also right. like, I mean, I'm just imagining I, you know, you're a you're a mom to um, two daughters, one of which is pretty close in age to you when this happened. And mm-hmm. um if you knew this had happened to your your daughter, mm-hmm. um, I guess if you you know if you're, this happened to your daughter, but you didn't know, like just uh-huh. the thought of—I mean, I, I have a daughter. I'm try, I'm imagining something horrible like this happening to my daughter, and then their first thought is, "I have to keep this to myself. No one can know. Uh-huh. Let alone uh-huh. the fact. I mean, like let's ignore the fact that a crime has been committed, but uh-huh. also that they are." going through this thing and their first reaction is I have to keep it to myself. And that,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, I I can only imagine how like looking back on that and now being a mom and and raising a daughter, how you're like, I don't know. I I feel like I hope that you have compassion for yourself, you know, just looking back like you poor girl that you thought you had to hide (laughs) this, like, oh man.
1: But that's, uh, that's, that is what happens in, um, you know, I, I keep talking about the enemy, but honestly, um, when you think about sin or, or hard things and traumas, things that are unspeakable acts, um, we don't know what to do with that. And so we just kind of are like, let's just put it away somewhere and not deal with it. It's easier. Um, So, yeah, that's, and that, and that happens, unfortunately that happens a lot, even in very broken situations that are not related to trauma, just in marriages, that are struggling. It's like, let's not talk about, let's pretend like everything's going great. Or, you know, if you have a child that's in an addiction or anything like that, you, the church has not been a great model of showing us that we're all broken. Um, it's very much sometimes, unfortunately, um, we got to pretend or at least fake it till we make it kind of a thing. Um, right. it, we just, we haven't been, it hasn't been modeled well. How do you walk through trauma? How do you walk through brokenness? How do we be real about that in the church? So mm.
0: that's, that's um, such important but, questions to ask. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For another day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you go through this trauma, you find that you're pregnant, you decide to yes. go home. Um, yes. What was what was that like after
1: you went home? So, um, you know, there's so many parts of this story that could be a book, but, um, (laughs) which
0: I think should happen one day. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, God is working on that with me. Um, but there is, you know, there's just, as you look back over your life, I'm sure. And as Mm -hmm. I look back over my life, I just see moments that it is, there is no other explanation other than a divine explanation. Um, And so even in the midst of my trauma and confusion and trying to figure out what's next, um, you know, even in the moment that I find out that I'm pregnant um, and then moving forward with that, um, even though I was a broken Confused girl, there was still because of the foundation in my heart of the Word of God and me knowing the character of God. Yeah. Um, even though the world didn't make sense to me, I knew the character of God, and so yeah. I could I could rely on that even in that moment of just not understanding what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so early on in the process of learning, I'm pregnant. Um, I feel God reassure me. And even at the hospital, when the pregnancy test um, was read as positive to me, um, you know, a woman there had offered to take me to get an abortion. Um, And in my heart, I was like, no, God chose me for this. God entrusted this baby to me. Um, And so even in the midst of that confusion and, and chaos, um, there was a very clear sense in my spirit that that I knew that God is the father to the fatherless, that God is the author of life. Um, and I knew that even though I was dealing with my own lies of, did God reject me? I still knew the character of God. I just was questioning myself. Mm-hmm. But I knew the character of God yeah. was that, no, everything happens according to his plan. He is a sovereign God. Yeah. And so this, this little baby, he must have a plan for this little baby's life. I know he does. And so, um, you know, as the, in the days and months and, in weeks to come or days and months, I guess, to come, um, I began praying early on, like, God, did you, I know you have a plan for this baby. Um, what is it, you know, yeah. and, do, am I supposed to, um, give her to a family that's looking for a baby that's trying to adopt because I knew that there were, you know, people that can't have children. And Mm -hmm. um so I was just, you know, processing that and praying through that. But it was it was very early on. Um I even had a, a cousin that had called and offered for her and her husband to adopt and keep my baby in the family. And um though that seemed like it would be a really good situation you know, I was already getting attached to this little life growing inside of me. Yeah. And I could imagine, um, I, I just started to decide that maybe I'm going, maybe I'm supposed to parent her, you know, like, yeah. and I, she's my baby. And so um in the midst of my pregnancy, I had a verse, um, the story of Joseph um, came to me and, you know, Joseph had went through, so many hard things. Yeah. And um so much rejection and trauma and hurt. And yet at the end he in in Genesis 50-20 he was able to say um what what Satan intended for my harm, the Lord intended for my good. Yeah. And so I kind of cling I I was clinging to that just and I would recite it even though again, there's parts of your head that can grasp something and parts of your heart that aren't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. But I just would recite it and say what the enemy intended for my harm, God intended for my good, and that my baby was a blessing out of a hard time. Um, So I just began to, I mean, I believed it and I believed it. And as she grew, um, I would always tell her, and I would I would think of her this way, and I would explain it to people if it if the situation came up. Um, I would always just say that she was a blessing out of a hard time, that she was a gift mm. from God to me that came out of a of a painful circumstance or out of a trauma. It was like God rim- in Scripture many times has said, "I will give you beauty for your ashes." And yeah. so I just received that situation as. Um, knowing that she was a gift out of a hard time, she was a blessing out of a trauma and she was my beauty for ashes story.
0: Mm, I love that. Um so uh, it sounds like from early on your your daughter and um I guess your subsequent children had mm-hmm. an idea that um that you had gone through this, you know, I I I wanted to hear how you decided to share and, um, I mean, how that went, I guess, initially with your oldest daughter.
1: Sure. So, um, I think I alluded to the fact that my heart knew or my head knew some things that my heart didn't quite know yet. And so, um, there was, because of the trauma, um, there were parts of my heart that were trying to fix my own, picture trying to fix my own, the helper and fixer in me yeah. <laughs> did not die. Yeah. And so I thought God needed a little help, um, mm-hmm. fixing me. And, you know, I think also like, because my picture was that I was going to be a wife, a mom and a missionary, and I was supposed to be a good girl. Um, now I was a, a single mom and, um, every time someone looked at me, they saw me as a single mom mm-hmm. and, I did not like that for a girl who always tried to be a good girl. And that was my image. And that was where I found my worth and value. Um, I, I didn't like people looking at me and assuming I was a bad girl and judging me. Um, So or you know seeing me with a child outside of marriage and it felt like a broken picture to me so i kept thinking if i can just find someone to love me if i can just yeah. find someone to love me it will fix my picture and outward appearance will make everything easier because mm-hmm. it will you know people will see me as a family and and i'll have a husband and a daughter and it'll make more sense to the world it will be what's acceptable in the Christian world yeah. so I just was on this mission of wanting to be loved and I was very broken-hearted and so um, I just did not know how to be in a healthy relationship with a man yeah. um, and so that transpired into me getting pregnant again outside of marriage and um, that trans transpired into me be me walking through an this time, a pregnancy that was, um, suffering by my own choice because I had, I had my own sin led me into that pregnancy. Um, and also unplanned and also, um, also then kind of abandoned in that pregnancy. Um, Mm. and so here I was a single mom again, and now with two little girls in, Still, very much wanting to be loved and wanting to fix my picture and wanting a father for my daughters and um, not quite figuring out how that should look or how that should work and trying to do it all on my own and kind of being disobedient to God in the process because I was just pretty desperate. I was pretty desperate to be loved. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, fast forward and I end up meeting my husband and we were, we made kind of an, an interesting arrangement. Um, he was living in Los Angeles at the time and I was living in Kansas and I had these two little girls and I met him at a church planting conference of all things. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a ministry and he was working in a ministry at that time. Um, and he had kind of made this proposition to me, like let's date long distance. And, um, I was thinking, that seems very safe. I can be in a dis- in a relationship with a man long distance because I can't, I won't, I haven't learned yet how to have physical boundaries yeah. um, when it comes to purity, and so I was like, this seems the safest route yeah. to be in a relationship. Um, so we end up um, entering that relationship and and talking about marriage and making plans for marriage, and he comes to visit me. And I get pregnant (laughs) and it was just like a repetitive broken record here in this girl. Um, you know, and there was a lot of trauma at the beginning of trauma is not the right word. There was a lot of, um, issues at the beginning of my third pregnancy, um, because we weren't married and it was an unplanned situation. And so, um, at the time, my husband broke up with me and we were going to, you know, we were going through this. It was just a very painful time. Okay. Um, and through, God was still working, trying to heal me. And mm-hmm. God um, never gives up on his his kids. And so he still found me someone worth redeeming, I guess, because he continued to um to work on my heart and, and this third pregnancy, um, you know, was a very, again, just you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, where did that little girl go? Um, that just loved Jesus and wanted to serve and, and, and be a missionary. And you're looking at yourself and you're like this, I don't know what I've done with my life. Like, oh, how did it get so messy? Um, and, yet in our story, God, um, turned my husband's heart back towards me and we weren't married, you know, yet. Um, but turned, turned his heart towards me and we decided we had blown it and that we had been disobedient to God and kind of fallen into sin. And we just kind of decided, you know what, at this point we have children to raise and maybe we should do things God's way. And so, um, we had hurt each other. And so there was, you know, broken trust. And we didn't really know what love was at that point. It had just been kind of sabotaged. (laughs) We had sabotaged it. And so, but we asked my father to marry us, um, which my father is a pastor. So now at this point, so um, he, we gather a few people together and we get married. And I was eight months pregnant and we just decided, God, can you fix this mess that we've made? And, and I was saying, God, can you fix this mess that I've made? But entering into that marriage, really um, feeling like my husband married me cause I'm pregnant. And at this point still dealing with my value and my worth and feeling mm. very much like rejected and abandoned and betrayed and not lovable. Just feeling like, how can I be, um, in this broken cycle and not have, um, tangible change in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anyway, we, we get married and have our third baby and have this instant family with a dad and a mom and, and two kids and then a baby. And, um, and then a few, well, within a year, then we get pregnant with twins. Um, and so that was, I've had four pregnancies in my life with five children mm-hmm. and all four of them were unplanned and kind of, um, you know, a season of, of painfulness because of that, um, them being unplanned. But then through all of that, God just um, showing me who he is yeah. um, and loving me, loving me through that. So, to answer your question the, the long way around there was mm-hmm. just to say that as we were getting ready to have the twins, um, at this point, Michael was getting ready to turn two and we were getting ready to have two babies. And I had always, someone had told me in in a counseling session early on, um, when I said, what am I going to tell my daughter? Um, when, when she asks about her dad, um, and someone had always said, just answer what she asks. Little kids' brains will get curious and they'll ask a question, but sometimes adults will give them too much information yeah. um, that they're not asking for and that they don't know how to process. And so just answer what she asks. Wow. Um, so, as she, like I said, as she grew up and would ask, I would always say, well, everyone has an earthly father, but we don't know yours. He's not in our lives. And then I would just say, but you, God is the father to the fatherless. And um, he gave you to me. You are a blessing to mommy out of a hard time. And God gave you a a papa who loves you and uncles who love you. And so I would always just kind of explain it that way. And she'd be like, okay. Um, And processing in her little brain, but not asking more questions at that time. Um, So as I'm getting ready to have the twins, that's really when. questions start to come and we we sit the girls down um and also at that point in the story my my second daughter's dad um was potentially getting ready to enter into her life um so she was 5 at the time and um didn't have a relationship with her biological dad and so we sat the girls down and we just kind of explained um, that There are definitions of father, and that there's a biological father, but sometimes that biological father who helps make the baby with the mommy, sometimes he's not there to raise the the kid. And so um, sometimes a parent will step in and they become a father because they raise the child and love the child and and take care of the child. And so Mm -hmm. we just explained that. And then we told Zion, my second daughter, that she had um a biological father that may be entering into her life and um and then we she was like oh she was you know like I said five at the time so she's like cool I have two dads and then she just like skips down the hall and no big deal (laughs) and um and we're like okay that was easy and then um and then Kanaya's just sitting there looking at me like okay so you're gonna need to explain this a little more like is zion's dad my dad my other dad my biological dad and so we just began to explain that um you know in in the best way that we could to a nine-year-old at the time kenaya was nine um we just explained what had happened in very simple terms and didn't give a lot of details and then we just said we focused we were really heavy on the solution um we just presented the little bit of the problem and then the heavy solution that we had was that God knew that Kanaya was going to need a dad and God sent Jason, my husband to marry me and to father her and to parent her and raise her and take care of her and love her. Yeah. And so, you know, when I got married, Kanaya was six. And, um, so this, you know, had been three years later and she had a pretty good relationship with my husband. She remembered days when he wasn't around and it was just her and I, but she came to know him as dad. And, um, And so at that point in the story, my husband offered to adopt her and he said, you know, uh, God, God chose me to be your dad and I love you as my daughter and I want to adopt you. And, um, whenever you're ready, we'll change your last name to our last name and we'll just make it official. It's already Mm -hmm. happening. We'll just make it official. Um, and he's like, I just want you to choose that. And she, um, she said, okay, she just very, I think God made my daughter, Kanaya very um, guarded, reserved personality. So she's very um, soft-spoken, very introverted, and um, it seems to be that she's very emotionally strong and not, she doesn't, she's not very emotional or sensitive or falling apart. So all through her upbringing, she's very, I could tell she was thinking and processing, but she wasn't letting her expressing emotion very much. So she was just kind of matter of fact, like, okay. And then it took a couple of years, honestly, when she was like 11, she came and said, okay, I'm ready to be adopted now. (laughs) And then we just went through the process and and made it happen and went out and had dinner as a family and celebrated that, you know, that she, her last name changed to our last name and she was officially adopted and officially, um, my husband became her official dad, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so we, that's how we told her, um, you know, that, tr- that story is really interesting because, as you can imagine a nine-year-old receiving that information and trying to process that. And then as she enters her teenage years and then as she watches her sister develop a relationship with her biological dad. And then as she sees my husband's relationship with, with the boys that we've had, um, you know, she's just watching all of that and trying to process that. And, um, so still didn't ask many questions through her teenage years. And we we became very um, close her teenage years. Um, On her 18th birthday, um, she decided to go work at Kids Across America camp. And so she was away from me for the summer. Um, She met her husband that she has now um, working at camp and he was also working at camp Mm -hmm. and I'll never forget that next summer or that summer when she was working at camp, it was that summer, um, that she was 18. Um, and then that next summer she was getting ready to be married. They got engaged and she was getting ready to be married and we were all working at camp. And one morning I was sitting out on the swing at camp and Um, before any of the campers were up, before anyone was up, I was just sitting like right at sunrise, sitting on one of the swings, just swinging. And I had a memory of the day that I had learned I was pregnant with Kanaya. And I just, as I'm sitting on the swing, I, I thought, hmm, Lord, if you brought that to my memory because I'm supposed to share that with her, just open the door for me to share that with her. And I kid you not, seconds, from me saying that prayer. I look up and my daughter is walking down the hill at camp and comes and sits beside me on the next swing. Mm. And I was just like, whoa. Um, I looked at her and I said, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about the day I found out I was pregnant with you. And she had this look on her face like, oh no, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm -hmm. And it opened up the door for the sweetest moment between she and I, where I was able to share more stories about that day and just share my insights on watching her grow. And we ended that very delicate moment. Like I felt like the whole world was hanging in the balance in that moment because here she is an 18 year old and I'm sharing pieces of that very fragile um, story. And And I just say, you know what, I want to pray a blessing over you and your marriage, and I want to bless your marriage because I believe that God has chosen Jalen for you because you grew up in some not normal circumstances and and you didn't know your earthly dad. And that probably um, could have let you be vulnerable to seeking um, love from men and identity from men. And you could have been in a situation where you just um, were looking for love in all the wrong places. And I said, but you found a man who loves you. And um, I feel like God is, is providing that for you. And so I just Mm -hmm. pray a blessing over your marriage that, um, and so it was a very sweet moment between she and I. And, um, you know, as the, as the years have gone on, there've been more and more unraveling of, of her story and my story together and just some miraculous ways that God has been at work. Um, so that'll, we'll save that for the book, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know if this is something you feel comfortable sharing, but, you know, you shared mm-hmm. with me kind of, uh, I believe it was in response to that conversation that your daughter wrote you a letter, right?
1: It wasn't in response to the situation but it was um at at one point uh, this was probably a year and a half two years ago Oh okay um, so it was more recent It was more recent um my my daughter and son-in-law were were not living close to me at the time and my daughter was going through some things and she um you know it's her this part is her story to tell but i'll share a little bit of it yeah. um but she she was just sharing how god was um speaking to deep parts of her to bring healing
0: yeah
1: and um and so you know as she was processing some of that stuff that she had been just kind of keeping away in a room not ready to deal with yet um mm. that that her husband, my son-in-law kept encouraging her, you need to call your mom. You need to call your mom and talk to her <laughs> about this. And she was like, I'm not ready yet. Yeah. And so I guess there was a period of, of you know, like six months that she was journaling and writing out all the things that God was um, was pro- uh, dealing with her and and tenderly working through things with her and her opening up um, parts of her and asking questions and letting God bring healing. And so, um, she, she came to town and at this point she had two, my two grandsons Mm -hmm. by then. Um, and so she usually, as it happens when you're a grandma, um, you know, like everyone else takes a backseat to the grandkids. And so, she had called me and said, "Mom, we made it to the house." And she's like, "Are you on your way home from work?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "When you get here, I don't want Leo and Logan to see you yet because it'll be over and they'll you'll have they'll have all your attention and, you know, I I have some things I need to share with you before you see them." Okay. And I said, "Okay." And she said, "Can you pick me up?" So She picked me up. I picked her up. We went to the park, and I was like, whoa, this is serious. She's taking me to a park. (laughs) Um, My quiet girl who doesn't have very many words and is very guarded and reserved, and I'm like, she wants to take me to a park to talk. This is serious. Um, And she pulled out, like, a 10-page letter and just began to share with me the last six months of her life and how God had taken her on this journey to heal parts of her Um, that— that were just from her trying to figure out her story and um and who she is and and all of that. so it was it was a really healing time for both of us, um, just watching what God had done. Um, and it opened the door for us to just very have very, very, very um, raw conversation., yeah. and so we shared just many details of many things over the years and it was really beautiful um I was so grateful that God gave us that time and and the things that he's done and it was really affirming time because though she was dealing with some of the pain of knowing her story um she also was really affirming saying thank you mom you know for choosing to give me life and um And then, you know, we talked about, I, I cried and said, I'm so sorry that you got the most broken parts of my life. And when you were little and then we, I cried because I said, I'm sorry if I was selfish to keep you, if I was supposed to give you to a family. So you didn't have this like aching void in your heart from being raised without a dad, you know, and if I was supposed to give you to a family so that you would know what it was like to be loved by a dad as a little, little girl I'm so sorry if I was selfish and kept you to myself. And she was like, no, um, you know, then I wouldn't have you. And so we just worked mm. through the beauty of the brokenness, I guess. Um it was really, really powerful.
0: I think that's amazing. And I think it's such a, not that either one of your, uh, your stories are finished by any means. Right,
1: absolutely. Just kind of
0: a nice, um, you know, I guess, moment that is affirming, like you said, where it's God, you you were with me through the midst of all this. And even when I felt like I was failing so much, you, yes. you I don't know, you helped her memory to be that these are good things and that, that there was right. this was a positive childhood, even though there was a lot of hard stuff to go through. And yes. You know, continuing to bring healing. And I mean there's so many more things I, I would love to go into but I just I, I'm just curious you know um if you were to speak to someone who had been through what you had been through so uh-huh. let's say you know you you are a nurse practitioner and you uh-huh. have we have experience working in nursing and you have I'm sure uh-huh. at different times dealt with people who maybe had been sexually assaulted or um maybe they ended up with an unintended pregnancy. Mm-hmm. What what would you say to that person? What advice mm. would you give them? What what would you want to speak to them in those moments?
1: There is not enough time to share <laughs> all that I would have to share. Yeah. <laughs> um gosh, and that's it's so hard to um to know what to share when someone is in that moment. Um mm-hmm of their darkest days, you know, or all of their fears of the future. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a very delicate time in someone's life. And so, um, I think the thing that some of the things that I feel like I've learned from my journey are that it's okay to be, um, a work in progress and a masterpiece, all at the same time, you know, simultaneously, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, until I die, I am going to be a work in progress. And Mm -hmm. until I die, I am, um, the beautiful canvas of God, you know, like Mm -hmm. he, the work in progress can be messy and it's also beautiful. And so, um, just to share that as a, as a, I don't know. Some I guess that's a that's a phrase to give hope. Mm-hmm. Um that and sometimes too when you're in the midst of it um it's hard to see what good can come and it's hard to see that it's not over. You know, right. this isn't over. It doesn't end here. This is just something that God is going to use to to make something beautiful. Um yeah. and you know, when I talk about my story, I, I want to make sure that uh, no matter what I go through, um, he gets the glory from it. And yeah, um, so my I, I talked about my identity and all of that. And if I don't know my identity in light of who Christ is, like my identity is in him. Right. and um, And so I think to just share the hope with people that it's not over.
0: Right.
1: And what you're going through now, you know, that Romans 828 passage, it sounds when you're go I don't know, when you're going through something painful, that passage sounds really like, are you serious right now? Like mm-hmm. all things, um you know, like you're gonna you're gonna work all these things for my good and there's nothing that can separate me from your love. And yeah and and it's gonna all work out you know, yeah. all of those things that you're, you're, you cling to that. And it sounds kind of trite and cliche and like platitudes are given to all these wonderful things. Yeah, um, The way that God's going to bring beauty from ashes. And it, in the moment when you're, you're like, are you serious right now? Um, oh. But yes, I am serious right now, yeah. you know? Um, and I think, That no matter what I go through in this world, um, if God gets the glory from it, it's worth it. And now as a 46-year-old living some life and having to go through some hard times and some of it self-inflicted shame and some of it just going through um, the the pain of being hurt by other people. um, I think that the thing that's important to remember is that on this side of eternity, we will all face hardships of many kinds. We will all endure suffering of some form or fashion and it, it will look different. Maybe it won't be unplanned pregnancies for some, maybe it would be divorce or disease or loss of a loved one or, um, disability, you know, like there's, there's so many things in this life that we are called to endure. Um, and it, sometimes when you're going through it, you feel like it's a punishment or you feel like, well, I didn't do something right. And, and mm-hmm. what is this good life that is spoken about or what is this abundant life that God promises like right. you feel like it should be translated in a different way where if you're walking with God and you're following him and you love him, then everything should go well with you. And that's just a lie. That's (laughs) not, it's not biblical, right? It's not biblical at all. If you look through scripture, you just see that um, all the people of God, all of those that followed him closely, they struggled with their sin. They struggled with hardships and suffering. And so the thing that I've learned, I think, one of the things that I've learned and clung to is that if you are it, when you do go through those hardships, when you do go through those trials or traumas, um, if you can steward your suffering for the glory of God, it brings you such peace and joy in your journey. It brings you, it makes purpose out of your pain. And I know that sounds cliche, but it really does. It's, it's worth it if you know that, hey, we all are going to go through some stuff, but there is, there's a future glory waiting for me right. in in the heavenly realm. And that here, um, there's a passage, John sixteen thirty three that's that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And um, just, you know, remembering all of the promises of God throughout scripture that, that say that it's not going to be easy, this Christian life. It's not going to be perfect. There will be days that are so painful and hard and where you just want to throw in the towel or where you think it's not fair. And um, just remembering him, our our Savior, Jesus, who endured the cross and endured such suffering and hardship. And he said, you know, to follow me, you're gonna, you're gonna experience this hard life too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so I don't know if that's helpful for anyone who's going through um, hard times. But I think for me, I just remember when I'm, whenever I go through hard times, even today, I remind myself, um, steward my suffering for the glory of God. Yeah, it makes it worth it. I think that's
0: that's awesome. I think that's super important to you know take those things and make them matter. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that you said earlier, and I want to make sure that we address, um, you know, in those moments where, where, you know, when you were dealing with, like, I have kept myself, you know, for marriage, and then my virginity was taken away from me. And, you know, you talked about how in our culture, and especially in our Christian culture, like, there is such a high value placed on that. And there is, you know, we are called as Christians to... Live a holy life, but you know, obviously, in, especially in the first situation, like that was taken from you in a way that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you had no control over. And then, you know, you mentioned the other relationship that came after that, um, mm-hmm. and you know, a choice to have um, a sexual relationship. But I just want to make sure that people hear that you know, having sex outside of marriage does not, in any way, decrease our value. You know, we are Absolutely. still 100% valuable to God. We are still His—if um, we're a follower of Jesus, we are still His His children. Um, even if we make this, you know, decision to, to sin in this way, or if we end up in a—you know, especially if you end up in a situation where it's beyond your control, obviously, there is, you know, nothing that you personally need to confess to the Lord in that, but— um, It does complicate things, obviously, and we've seen Uh that one of the ways it can complicate is that, you know, maybe unintended pregnancy, those kind of things. But um, I want to make sure that people are not, you know, that they're hearing, the you know, that God is still, you know, He loves them. He cares about them. They're deeply valuable. And that, like, even to a future husband, you have not lost your value. You have not become— you know, damaged goods that no one will want. And so um, I know that you, I know, you know, or you believe that and you say that. I just want to make sure that mm-hmm. we're saying it on here so that yes, people yes. Um, that may have dealt with that um, are hearing that said out loud. You are, you've been through a hard thing and you've, or you've made a bad decision and mm-hmm. you are still loved, you are still valuable and mm-hmm. um, and God is there for healing after. So yes, um, yes, yeah. I have loved talking to you about all this, and I—I I mean, I know we spent a week together, and I got to hear mm-hmm. a lot about this, um, a lot about your life, and a lot about how God is redeeming all these different things. And it just sort of came up naturally in our conversation. And I—I
1: mm-hmm. I hope
0: that the folks listening to this see the hope that you have. Um, you have—you're so filled with joy and hope, and it's evident in the things that you say and the things that you do. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that you took your time to chat with me this evening.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Dawn's story is so powerful and I love how God transformed her heart in such incredible ways. She shared after the interview, how she hopes that churches support individuals going through similar hardships by focusing on the heart of the individual rather than just trying to correct the behavior. We see this modeled by Jesus in how he showed patience and compassion with his disciples despite their failures along the way. She encouraged the church to address the brokenness of heart of the individual in order to help them experience the healing and freedom that only Jesus can bring. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that this episode was encouraging to you If you love the Faithful Podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help others find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. You can find me on Instagram at Faithful Podcast or faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.